genre. Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring, one uncomfortable conversation at a time. <laughs> I'm Norman Mitchell. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And joining us today is our friend from the protagonist podcast, Joe Dorosky. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Oh, no problem. So today we're going to be talking about Minute 181, which starts with Boromir approaching Frodo and saying, I know why you seek solitude and ends with Boromir becoming increasingly frustrated and saying, they will find you. They will take the ring. Yes. We're so, here. We're, <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we, we did. Three hours like in. You've been on a long journey. I feel like I've like, oh, yeah. run the equivalent of a podcasting marathon with this, but we're not quite done yet. So, <laughs> Not quite yet. I feel confident so, you guys are going to have the longest single film for a movie by minute podcast. I don't know if this one is longer or the Godfather's longer. Oh, depends on which cut of the Godfather, I guess. Yeah. Uh, when we when we get done, uh, I mean, Return of the King is like four hours. Oh, that's true. Oh, Never that's mind. right. That's still on the horizon for you guys. <laughs> yes. Many... And you're going to feel like you've ended multiple times. Like, oh, we made it. But wait. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> Several cuts to black that linger for multiple seconds oh, at the end of that movie. But sure. right now we're at a sweet spot in this film. So we should yes. focus, focus we on are. Absolutely. <laughs> we are. We are at the beginning of the climax. It's here. It's coming. So yeah. I... Uh, I listened to some of the commentaries. I mean, there's like a dozen commentaries you could choose from. But in the actor's commentary, Sean Bean had what I thought was a wonderful understatement. He said, um, as it comes into the scene of him and Frodo talking together, we don't have that many scenes together, me and Frodo, but this is a good one. <laughs> Sean Bean is kind of the master of the understatement in like any interview, anything he's talking about. He's always just like, that was all right. <laughs> Like, this is the kind of scene that I think actors like really want to dig their, you know, sink their teeth into and, and look forward to yeah. when they see it on the script. They're like circling it. I, oh, yeah, this is where I'm really going to. It's like, this was a good one. Just, you know, <laughs> just needs no no more excitement than I we did a good job here. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> John Reese davies is a bit like that, too. You think it's like a. Like but a, he's a little more poetic thing? than Sean Bean. Like a British thing. It might be. <laughs> The humble brag. <laughs> I think the British are the masters of the humble brag. Probably. When they say this was a good one, it means, guys, come on. We Amazing. all know this yeah. is spectacular. <laughs> Everyone's got to check this out. <laughs> uh, this conversation is also really like, well-maintained from the conversation they have in the book mm. here. Uh, they use some of the same lines. They only chop up a couple and redistribute them. But they cut some things because the way this scene starts in the book is like much more friendly. Frodo has requested time alone to make his decision about where to go next, mm -hmm. like which which path to take. And he asks Aragorn for an hour uninterrupted to think on it and make his decision. So Aragorn's like, yeah, sure, you, you, we'll give you an hour and then we'll if you're not back, we'll come look for you. 
Just, you know, be careful. If you're not back, we'll leave. <laughs> uh, the shadow and the threat line from last week is Aragorn's in the book. Mm. He said he wakes up in the middle of the night when they're camping. Yeah. And says there's been a shadow and a threat in his sleep and he can't continue. He had to wake up and check on things. That sounds like more of a levelist line, though. It really does. <laughs> uh, but this starts off much more friendly. Uh, Boromir approaches him. I actually wanted to quote the first thing Boromir says in the book. So... There's a little bit of lead up to this of Frodo sitting and then it says suddenly he awoke from his thoughts. A strange feeling came to him that something was behind him, that unfriendly eyes were upon him. He sprang up and turned, but all that he saw to his surprise was Boromir and his face was smiling and kind. Huh. I was afraid for you, Frodo. If Aragorn is right and orcs are near, then none of us should wander alone and you least of all. So much depends on you. And my heart too is heavy. May I stay now and talk for a while since I have found you? It would comfort me. Where there are so many, all speech becomes a debate without end. But two together may perhaps find wisdom. Interesting. That's so a very it's a much tone. more. Yeah. It is. It's a much more diplomatic tone. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they maintain a little bit of that with the way Boromir is here. Yeah. But they really are pushing and pushing with Boromir's depiction in this movie mm -hmm. and i think it really works i just think it's an interesting contrast to how this starts yeah in the book when he enters it is the words he says are friendly but just the delivery you feel this kind of tension uh in the, like a attention in the subtext of everything that he's mm -hmm. saying to frodo yeah you really do like uh we talked about it on uh friday last week yeah that when he says so much depends on you he Sounds like it it doesn't sound like he's being sincere. Yeah. It sounds very bitter and sarcastic. Yeah. The scene is so good. <laughs> hey, every time that Sean Bean is like the focus of a minute, we're always just so excited because Boromir's fantastic. It's quite good. <laughs> he is. We so we had Cassandra on the protagonist podcast to talk about the Lord of the Rings, the film, uh, for mm -hmm. over there, we talk about a great character and a great story. Um, we kind of stretched it to talk about all the great characters in this film. But I mentioned that I've never been able to look at this film the same since I had a, a film teacher when I was in college say that they like to view the second half of Fellowship of the Rings as the tragedy of Boromir mm. and like view that as, as the real narrative thread that has the most emotional resonance. And so much of that is, of course, because of Sean Bean's performance in this. Yeah. Yeah, and this was one of the this was the first major scene he filmed uh when he first arrived in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things for the movie in general was like this climax scene was what they filmed in the first few weeks. I can't, I can't imagine all the juggling and planning that had to go into scheduling locations and what was going to be shot where and when and getting all the right actors to the right places and everything. I know, right? Yeah. While they were filming this conversation, apparently on the other side of the hill, they were filming Merry and Pippin's like fleeing from the Urukai at the same time. Huh. That's awesome. One thing so that they I were doing that the same day. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I think helps this scene and helps Sean Bean's performance, and he mentioned this in the commentary, is that they uh, um, they didn't do a lot of the tricks for um, reminding the audience of the size difference. Uh, this is really just him and Elijah Wood. Uh, doing the scene they they did they didn't do any doubles during this sequence even when yep. he tackles him on the ground it's uh it's gonna be elijah wood and he said for him as an actor that just felt 
more pure. I think <laughs> it allowed him to, to really stay into the emotionality of the scene uh, right. to Without not have to worry to about the, the technical side of it. Yeah. Yeah. The only, uh, the only shot in this scene with the two of them that uses a scale double. Is it when Frodo's backing up slowly? There's that shot. When the... he throws the logs down. Yeah. That's the only shot yeah. with a scale double here. Mm-hmm. That wide shot. Uh, and they don't point out who's the scale double, but I'm pretty sure it's the Frodo scale double. Mm-hmm. Just looking at the the proportions and how the hair always looks different on the scale doubles. Um, Kieran? Yeah, Kieran. When he throws the logs on the ground, I always jump. Like, I'm expecting it every single time. But there's something about anger manifesting and then, like, someone, like, throwing something to the ground. It just freaks me out and it's very like it's very scary and it's like we we've seen boromir angry before especially last week when he was arguing with aragorn but we haven't seen him quite like this and this is like this is quivering yeah this is like his his breaking point yeah um and it's always interesting to me to kind of think about characters in relation to like where their breaking point is Hmm. and like this it just feels so real yeah and And i think that's why it's like so frightening because for boromir his breaking point is like being denied a request for like the sixth time inside three months right at least (laughs) (laughs) he's probably dropped subtle hints all along is that ring getting heavy (laughs) you know right (laughs) Uh, my kingdom's getting attacked left and right right. And he, like, tries to be friendly up until the point where he's not anymore. And then he's just aggressive. And then it's, like, zero to 60. It's like, Boromir doesn't really know how to be passive. (laughs) He takes a stab at it, but it lasts less than one minute of screen time. (laughs) He tries. He tries to be a little passive and control himself. But, like, as soon as things are just out of his control, he just goes straight to aggressive. Well, and I think one thing that makes it... um, so powerful for the audience is that you understand where he's coming from. He's not a villain, even though like the action in the larger scheme is villainous from his perspective, he's trying to be a hero, right? Like you understand where he's coming from, even as we don't want him to get the ring. It's, it's not like he is Sauron over there, you know, trying to get it for selfish reasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is, it is pretty selfish, but it's also, it's like, selflessly selfish (laughs) yeah i I know know what you mean (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know he wants it because he wants to protect his people but that's not what they're about right now yeah and in the greater context of like heroic action that is a heroic action like protecting your people but it's also like that versus bigger picture and what you might do in the name of protecting your people right because the villain never thinks he's villainous. No, everyone's the hero of their own story. Right. But we talked at length about that on the protagonist podcast with me as well. Nice. We uh, <laughs> wanted to talk about a uh, Green Lantern and Sinestro. Yeah, yeah. We we had a long discussion about like what it means to be a villain mm. and the idea of redemption. So yeah, some of that's very uh, very relevant here to Boromir's story arc. Yeah, I agree, especially in the extended like. The theatrical, I think he's a little more mustache twirly, um, or he goes from like zero to sixty much quicker. 
yeah. because we don't see his growth or his um, like depth of character or where his motivations are coming from. It's just like, I'm Gondorian. I need to take the ring to Gondor. Right. And... We only get that one thing at the Council of Elrond right. where we get like his motivation laid out mm -hmm. and then the movie just forgets about it and moves on. Yeah. And then we get this in the theatrical like with like an hour and 10 minutes between those two things right. with no growth <laughs> or reconnection with the character. Well, I mean, there's the, the scene on um, Caradras too, but yeah, that's but that's really it. just like leading into the same sort of thing from the council of Elrond. Yeah. That sounds so different. I've never actually watched the theatrical cut. I've only ever seen the extended edition. It's crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we watched it. Oh gosh. That was, I think at the beginning of the year at this point, it was a few months ago. Yeah. Um, and I like couldn't believe how different it was. So it's like, it's not the second half of the film is not the tragedy of Warmere in the theatrical cut. No, no, I like the second half of the film is like, like I think it's more about Aragorn. Yeah, but Frodo. they even cut some of the Aragorn yeah. stuff too. Uh, they really like after Moria the movie like really focuses in on Frodo. Yeah, which I understand. I understand why they cut a lot of this stuff, but I think it. I don't know. My perspective skewed because I have only seen the extended before doing this. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I never saw the theatrical in theaters. I never saw it till after I saw the extended mm -hmm. either. So, but I much prefer extended Boromir because it is it is the tragedy of Boromir. Like you see his fall happen. Um, you like meditated on a little a little more instead of yeah. just like I'm going to take the ring and then I'm going to protect Marion Pippin. Also, like, I feel like this moment has a lot more weight when it is compared against the moment in Lothlorien and the argument with Aragorn. Mm. Well, it, it, um, it also kind of, like, we were talking a little bit about Boromir and Galadriel parallels, too. Um, and when he, like, extends his hand a little bit, or, like, walks towards Frodo, it reminds me of when Galadriel like reaches out yeah. and is like wanting to, to grab the ring. In another uh, make you jump out of your seat moment. In right. The, <laughs> yeah. um, the ring seems to have that effect on everyone around it. And you can hear it whispering in yeah, this scene. I was, that was in my notes too. You can hear the ring whispering. Mm -hmm. You can hear it's yeah, almost like it's breath, like it's panting. It's much more understated than any other time you can hear the ring, the yeah. voice of the ring. It's, it's much more airy. Than most of the time when you hear it whispering. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to hear it later in this week with uh, Aragorn, right? As well. You do hear it again with Aragorn. And that one's more explicit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I have a couple... I, I took a couple of notes on the... The setup of the scene itself here too, like the backgrounds. Mm -hmm. That giant head was apparently originally designed and conceived to sit in the background for Boromir's death scene. When he's... For the scene where he like talks to Aragorn when yeah. he's dying and the person who conceived of that thinks that this is a better use because with that big Gondorian head sitting behind Boromir while he's dying, the imagery is almost a little heavy handed, but here it almost looks like a symbol for not just comparing it to Frodo and Frodo's smallness, but also the greatness that is waning in Boromir. Mm. Like foreshadowing. Yeah. That's cool. Because it's a ruined Gondorian statue. Right. Is there anything in the film that makes it explicit that it's Gondorian? I'm trying to remember in the scene built up. 
other than it's beyond the Argonath, no. Okay. I, I like. I love the symbolism, but I'm just like, did they drive it home or did they just let it sit there and, and those who got it could get it? Is it Gondorian or Numenorian? Uh, they usually refer to it as Numenorian, but it was built under the kingdom of Gondor. Okay. okay. The, the realms in exile and all yeah. that. This uh, is the nitty gritty details that people come to this podcast for. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because they, they do refer, until after Isildur's death, they generally refer to the the kingdoms as Numenorian. Okay. And then beyond that, further into the Third Age, they start referring to it right. separately as Gondor. Because they're like born there. Right. Yeah. So the third king of Gondor is the last person that was born in Numenor. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, jumping back to the set, um, in the commentary, Peter Jackson said that he regrets like one of his great regrets is that they didn't he didn't ask them to build an entire body for the statue Mm -hmm. for uh the fight scene that they could have had people running all over the body during the like during the fight scene i think it's almost more there's something more magical about it to just have this head there (laughs) and not see the entire statue exactly well it's like um it's like the easter island heads or like the the uh the the olmec heads in south america like Mm -hmm. they're just Giant heads, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Have you seen the uh, the photos of Easter Island heads when they've dug down? Yeah, it's and there's, there's bodies, bodies there. The bodies are there. <laughs> we just never knew it. They just got buried. I know. Whose bright idea was that? Hey, why don't we just dig under these? <laughs> Should we take a look? <laughs> why did it take so long? Right. <laughs> that's my question. Because that's a fairly recent, at least in terms of like my awareness of it, it seems fairly recent that yeah. they've announced that, oh, there are bodies under those heads on Easter I Island. I think it's within the right. last decade. But the heads are still like unnecessarily crazily large right. compared to the bodies underneath them. Yeah, yeah it, it does not solve the mystery. It <laughs> it just adds a little more context. <laughs> It, it, if anything, it just adds more questions. Yeah. yeah. It's just, just so confused. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so the only other note I have here is that it's actually uh, Andrew Lesney, the second unit director, is the guy that figured out the blocking using the slope of this hill mm-hmm. so they didn't have to use a scale double. Nice. And then he passed off like the viewfinder and was talking to Peter about it. And then Peter reworked the shot and the the blocking to just make sure they didn't have to. Sweet. Well, well done. It works very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did um, so did um, second you just said his name second unit guy film this then or I think direct so. this? I think he did. Yeah. Sweet. That's uh, awesome. I mean, there's in this one minute. There's not a huge number of cuts, right? I mean, there's they change the angle a few times, but this really is. Uh, in terms of some Lord of the Rings sequences, one of the more actorly shots that we get. Because mm-hmm. um, so much of the Lord of the Rings, just by nature of what they're doing, ends up being about the technical um, tricks that have to be done to tell the yeah. story. Uh, this is one that you really feel, um, you know, the presence of the actors kind of breathing across the screen. Yeah, absolutely. It's always it's nice, one. like, when they're able to act with each other. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to staring at a stick halfway across the set. Right. Or, like, <laughs> that creepy, like, animatronic. Oh, oh the awful animatronic masks. masks. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you see some shots of those in the, the featurettes on the DVDs, and they're so, so creepy. Oh, uh, no thank you. <laughs> For how much money gets spent on blockbusters, sometimes with behind-the-scenes stuff, I'm always like, couldn't they have done a little more to help the actors? <laughs> like... <laughs> 
But yeah, like the, the, the famous is like in the in the nineties it was often a tennis ball. Is all they were using a tennis ball and a stick. Like follow mm-hmm. this with for your eyeline. I'm like, couldn't couldn't we do more? But even now, um I was watching some of the Rogue One behind the scenes features and uh to get the height of um is it K2SO? Did I get the name right for, yeah. for that droid? Like it's just uh Alan Tudyk walking around with um like just sticks going up his back. <laughs> That's it. They're like talking the sticks up there. That's really funny. That is really funny. I mean, that's just like a hallmark of Star Wars backstage, like behind the scenes stuff. Anyways, it's just actors talking to things that aren't there. Yeah, right. I mean, so much money gets poured into these films, and a huge amount of the success is going to hinge on actors' performances. I would like to think we could help them out just a, just a, a touch more than giving them sticks for eyelines. Right. Oh. Or like locking them in a green screen room. <laughs> yeah. Just a totally green painted room. Right. <laughs> Where are the ceiling and the floor? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, like, have you ever been in a room that's all painted one color with careful attention taken to the seams? It's really disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. It, you feel like a little lost, even though you, you're just standing in a room. It's like being in a house of mirrors. It's really bizarre. I think we just described the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, I think we did. did a good job. Three movies of people just being lost and like vaguely knowing what's happening. Mostly Hayden Christensen. Oh, bless his heart. He was doing his best with what he was given. It's Everybody true. was. Yeah. Let's be real. But that is not our show. That's yeah. the wrong show. <laughs> Uh, so thank you for joining us today joe oh thank you for having me again i really no really uh enjoy the lord of the rings and uh hearing all the trivia that gets brought to it in this podcast it just expands it, this is one of the fandoms where like there's always more than you know there, there's something else out there that you can learn and this podcast helps me with that well thank you so if you uh if any of our listeners out there are interested in contacting us or finding more dueling genre productions you can go like, to duelinggenre.com just like a ouija board like yeah just like l o t r oh that's so funny so you can go to duelinggenre.com and find all of our contact information all the episodes other duelinggenre.com productions mm-hmm. and if you go to duelinggenre.com slash support you can support us on patreon Oh, I was just going to add real quick that if you go listen to Protagonist Podcast episodes number 107, we talk about Lord of the Rings with Cassandra, or episode number 116, we talk about Sinestro and Green Lantern uh, with Norman, and uh, you can find those easily if you just go to protagonistpodcast.com. Awesome. And as always, a special thanks to our Patreon associate producers, Leaper182 and Ed Foster. Hope everyone has a great day, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.